Um, had a neat story yesterday, real quick, I need to tell this, and then I'll, I'll make an introduction. Uh, we have a, a neat thing that the Lord's doing amongst an Indian community that lives here in Denver that um, are, are coming to Jubilee, and that community has begun to grow. And we're excited about that because we believe that heaven is every tribe, every nation, every tongue, right? And so the more that the church is like that, the more we get a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like, right? So there's a young Indian couple that invited me, would you come? They just bought a house. Would you come and dedicate our house? And I've done that many times for people, and I thought, absolutely, I'll do it. So I get there. They have about 100 people. Uh, <laughs> at the dedication, and not just Indian people. They invited their neighbors, some of their neighbors came, and they, they honor, they know how to honor pastors. That's really what my message is this morning, too. No, uh, they, they treat pastors so well, and they let me do a ribbon cutting, and we prayed over every room. Then they asked me, would you preach a message? I preached a message, and then after they said, would you give an altar call? And I'm thinking, at a house dedication, four people gave their hearts to the Lord. Dedication. It was so special. And I thought, man, those Indians know something that a lot of Americans don't know about bringing God into every part of your life. And it was just really so awesome. So I'm just so excited for what the Lord is doing in that. And we want to make room for them, praying that the Lord um, will bring every, every tribe, uh, nation, and tongue to Jubilee. Wouldn't that be awesome, folks, to just have that in our services and have that flavor? So uh, we love that. Okay, um, I was thinking how to introduce our guest today. What, what would I say? Um, first of all, this is someone that I love very much. And when Jubilee first started, you know, you look now, and maybe you've only come in the last year or two, and you, you're unaware of the last 25 years. We had a beginning, and our beginning was not very auspicious, right? We, we meet in a school, Cougar Run Elementary in Highlands Ranch, and um, we finally outgrow the school. We get a little storefront at Broadway and County Line Road. For those who might remember, uh, there's a church in there now, but at the time, it was a, uh, a bankrupt uh, daycare that had gone out. And I had to, uh, man, I had to wheel and deal to get us into that space right there. And at the time, we didn't have uh, full-time employees. There just wasn't such a thing. But one of the very first ones was John Wood. He wasn't married to Gina yet. John had just come out of Christ for the Nations. And I brought John in as our worship leader and um, had, John, what were you, 19 at the time? 20, 20 years old, 20 years old, and put on John the responsibility of leading the church in worship. And what a fantastic job uh, Jonathan did. He proposed to Gina um, during one of those services. And Gina, we, I told him, I said, what if she says no? And he's like, no, she won't do that publicly. Privately, she might tell me no, but publicly. So John figured out the way around, how to get his wife to say yes. And um, he and Gina then have led worship in this church. They've been youth pastors in this church. They've sat on executive team uh, in the church. Their skillful leadership has helped to build Jubilee into the church that it is today. And oftentimes we think it's uh, maybe the guy with a title like the pastor, or maybe it's just one or two people. The truth of the matter is, it takes an entire group of people to make a church happen and to make a church good. I get the privilege of being the guy with title a lot of times that stands up the truth of the matter is, it was many, many good people through the years and even today that make our church what it is, and I owe them a great of gratitude. So what I'm trying to do for this first year, the people that we're inviting to speak are people that have had a profound influence upon me, like Pastor Stocker, who was here a few weeks ago, 
John Bailey, who was our very first missionary that we supported, and now I bring uh, John Wood. So here's, I thought about this last night. As long as your name's John, you can come preach in the, <laughs> that's not true. We've got some other ones coming. But um, uh, Jubilee, I want you to do me a favor. John and Gina lead a great church in the Ohio area now. Uh, it's booming. The Lord is blessing them. Um, John's style of worship is one that I've always enjoyed so much. His preaching is just tremendous, and his family's here. All of his girls were born here in Colorado, and uh, I, it's been a few years, but, man, they're all grown up now. It goes by fast, doesn't it, you guys? So they're in town for this weekend, and they're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with their family. But would you do me a favor? Would you welcome one of my true friends? This is John Wood, and let's give him a jubilee welcome this morning. JJ, we're worshiping, and I got to just stop and, and just tell you, God has placed a mantle on you that, that when you first started, I had the honor to see and watch, and right now, I just felt like the Lord was saying, you've gone through some brokenness, and that brokenness was replacing a mantle of talent and putting over it in a mantle of anointing and a breaker anointing. And I'm telling you, man, you keep walking in it and celebrate the brokenness as God's favor on your life. There are a uh, few things that, that uh, well, there are quite a few things that throw me, but I gotta tell you, to be invited to come back to Jubilee and celebrate this brand new facility, and not just that, but a facility that includes a teaching, training, and equipping center for our next generation's preachers, teachers, pastors, world changers, and worship leaders. This is special to me. This is really special to me. I'm honored because that's always been the case for Jubilee and me and my family. It's always been a place of equipping, training, it's always been a place of rest restoration and refuge. And so going through maybe some of the different titles and things that, that uh, I was a part of here at Jubilee, I was just thinking this while you were saying, uh, one of the things that I'm most grateful for is that it was a refuge for me and my family to see God's greatness in his grace. So John and Chris have always, Pastor John and Chris have always been teachers, mentors, pastors, and friends to me and my family. And this January will actually be 23 years since he invited me to be a part of really what you see today. And uh, I don't think he know, knew fully what he was asking <laughs> when he asked me to come on board. I think I was the most affordable, but uh, I'll just say that. Because it's the old adage where you just don't know what you don't know. I can tell you this, man, Bible college will get you stoked for God and it will get you passionate. The Bible school I went to got me passionate for praise and worship. And I felt like that I had the best gift to give to the people of Jubilee. And I was coming here. Now, here's what Bible school doesn't teach you, how to lead a staff meeting. How to recruit, now this is when I was there at least, how to recruit volunteers and schedule them. Um, it's important. 
how do you even get through a staff meeting? I don't remember our first staff meeting. It's like, John, you got anything? I'm going, am, am I supposed to? I love the Lord. Worship's going. I can remember one time, John talks about, we met, we had a staff of three, I think at the time. And, and our meeting spot was Fazoli's <laughs> off of County Line. And we loved the, I mean, the guy that would bring the breadsticks. I, I felt like this is why I'm here. I didn't know that we were making progress as a staff. I was just like, I'm here to eat Fazoli's. And we're going through these things. Now I remember this, is that I was single and um, I, we were on our way to get married, but Gina was still at uh, Bible College in Dallas. And, and so I was staying with my grandparents and I remember, this is how green I was. I remember that, that as I'm leaving my grandparents' house, I'm probably late for the staff meeting at Fazoli's. As I'm going out the door, I see a beautiful pair of moccasin slippers that looked like they had never been worn. And I knew they were my grandpa's but they just looked really comfortable. And I said to myself, yeah, I could put my shoes on that I'll have to tie or I could wear these slippers. I decided the latter and I, and I went to Fazoli's comfortable. Now this is before we're, we're like, everybody has a cell phone, all right? So it's hard to kind of picture. The only one on our staff that had a cell phone and this is because it was for the emergency line was Pastor John. So we're sitting there in the staff meeting, we're going, John is, you know, just coordinating things. He's going vision. I mean, just all these things. And uh, his cell phone goes off two or three times and it's my grandpa. He picks it up and he goes, hello? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he looks under the table and he goes, yeah, yeah, he does. And he goes, Jonathan, your grandpa wants to talk to you. No joke. I get the phone. Did you wear my slippers outdoors? Some of you may know my grandpa. That's a big no-no. And I knew it was, but I did it. I was comfortable. And he says, he says, you bring those back right now. And I, and, and I said, okay, grandpa, I'll bring them back right after the staff meeting. He goes, nope, right now. And I said, Grandpa, I'm in the middle of a staff meeting. He goes, I'm not the one who took my slippers outside. <laughs> I go, uh, John, I have to go home and give uh, my grandpa's slippers back to him. <laughs> and he, he never wore those slippers indoors again. He bought an exact match and he left them there, only used them to go out to the garage. He left them there just to remind me, I have two slippers, two pairs of slippers that you would like. In any case, Proverbs 20 verse five says this, the purposes, the callings, the desires, okay, I'm paraphrasing this. It says the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. Calling of a person's heart, deep waters but it's the one who has insight and wisdom that draws it out of them. Now I have several people in my life that I owe respect and honor to drawing out of me the purposes and talents that God has placed there. I have people all over this room that I could point to. I have my parents, I have my grandparents. But John, you have the gift to see what others would see as too difficult and too messy 
You have the, the wisdom and anointing to speak into a life and call out the things that people don't always see. And I want to thank you for allowing me and my family to be a part of Jubilee's story of bringing the bread of life to this world and help be that training and equipping center for me and in turn all of my kids. I feel it's no coincidence that I'm here on the week of Thanksgiving to say thank you. There's so much more to our story and I wish I could go, but thank you. I honor you. Now, I know as a church, you guys have been talking about the practicality and the intensity of spiritual warfare, you know, practically in the sense that it's not as complicated as we make it, right? We feel like spiritual warfare is something we can only do within the confines of a service or the confines of maybe a time of worship or the confines of, but it's, it's practical in the sense that it's meant to be lived outside of the church. In fact, that's where most of the battles taking place. So practically that's where it is, but intensely in the sense that if we knew the full measure of weight that our enemy was fighting against us, we would have our guard and our armor up far more than we possibly do. It's an intense battle that he wages consistently lying. Okay. Uh, uh, sowing seeds of fear. Okay, discouragement, hopelessness, all the time, all the time. The enemy is waging a war and his strategy isn't to make this obvious. I want everyone to listen to me. His strategy isn't to make it obvious. In fact, it's quite the opposite, quite the opposite in this. If you knew the strongholds that the devil holds and the lengths of the lies and warfare that he would go in order to protect them, you actually might be shocked. While we get a dose of fear in his lies by the enemy, which causes us to pray lulled prayers of peace, protection, hedges, finances, these are all very common prayers that are actually promises that we should obtain, that God has already promised over us, but he loves it when that's as far as we go. Y'all here? Okay, the enemy... While we're praying, our lulled prayers has been strategizing how to maintain his strongholds and control over a generation, over government, over media. He has a stronghold that he is using to delegitimize anything the church says and discourage anyone that's a part of it. That's right, what he's doing. And if, if we're not careful, okay, we believe these seeds of fear. Oh, man, what if my daughter... I mean, how many of you ever had like a sneeze... And by the time you're done searching on your phone what a sneeze is, you've got the, the latest version of COVID and, and you might require, it might be time to do your last will and testament. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, my daughter, she, she just, I, I, what if she has this? What if she has that? These are the things that we put on the prayer chain. Meanwhile, the enemy's educating a generation to think that the church is crazy and the only thing that can save our culture and society is the grace, the love, the power of Jesus. And we're just like, okay, you know what, God, you just kind of want me in this. He's already promised so many of those things. Here's a seed of fear. Heaven's not real. Here's a seed of fear. It's not worth it. 
I'll keep moving. I, one of my favorite stories of being a dad, I, we kind of have this thing in our household where we, we love scaring each other, okay? <laughs> now I know that, all right, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. That's not what it's about. It's just about fun. All right. <laughs> we jump up on people. We scare it. Typically, we make videos of it. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so my, my daughter, who's here on the front row, she comes to me. I'm washing dishes in the kitchen. She has this giant cockroach plastic cockroach thing. I mean, it looks real. And she goes, dad, 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 psst, psst. And she goes, I'm going to scare someone. <laughs> she doesn't even say who. I'm like, hey, go for it. And so she just puts it right in the middle of the kitchen. And then she walks away and she goes to the bathroom. And, uh, and then she comes back. And as she's walking back, she goes, ah! <laughs> she scared herself. <laughs> with the thing that she put down. And I'm dying as I'm seeing this. I was like, I wish I would have had that on video. And then I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, that's my church. Always setting something up and being scared by something that's plastic. The Lord wants you to move past those things. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is Jubilee, listen, you've crossed a line. Okay, you aren't who you were last year. You stepped into a new battleground and the enemy doesn't like it. I want you to hear this because I'm, I'm telling you, there are few things that grab the attention of the enemy. It's not just passion. It's not excitement. It's not uh, lights. It's not great sound. All right, there are a few things that make the enemy terrified. I'll go through them. The blood of Jesus, a Holy Spirit-led church, a church focused on evangelism and a church committed to the instruction of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus and that walk in his authority. It's where y'all are moving. And so God is giving you the authority. Don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that, man, I wanna be praying these. It's not like the small things don't matter. Just believe and trust in his promises. But God wants you advancing. This is what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and the violent take it by force. This is the line and the level that Jubilee has stepped into. And so if you're not feeling like, oh man, I'm feeling discouraged today, understand that that battle was started a lot earlier than how you're feeling now. You're a part of something. You're a part of the change that God wants to bring to our community and our society. And so, like John said, we're pastors at a church in Ohio called New Points Church with locations that go all across Eastern Ohio. And we're located in a Southern suburb of Cleveland and it's called Worcester. If you look at it, it, it looks like it says Wooster, but don't, don't say that when you're there. <laughs> and though I am a pastor at heart, I've always had a heart for worship. In fact, almost eight years of my 23 years in full-time ministry was as a worship leader. And I am always amazed at the depths and the insight and understanding that come from a life of worship. So if you would allow me, I'd like to spend some time talking and taking a little bit of a different approach or look on how worship can be used in spiritual warfare. So I'm calling this message, Dead Man Walking. 
Now, my, one of my life verses, and this is as a worship leader, and I started this way, is Psalms 27, verse four. It says this, one thing I ask, one thing I ask from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord in his temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord in his temple. Now listen, when I first started this, this anyone that knew me as a worship leader knew that that first part I was intense about. <laughs> One thing I asked to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In fact, I may have sang a song for close to 20 minutes to try to convince everybody that this was important. There is a chance, there is a chance that if you didn't show that you appreciated this, I may not have liked you that much. I'm being honest, okay? It's been 20 years, it's all right, you can forgive. I may have displayed a certain measure of intensity. Will you just understand how amazing God is? The reason that we do this as worship leaders, and JJ had mentioned this, is that there were so many times that, that if somebody believed it the, from a worship leader's standpoint, they respond to that. We see this in the church by lifting their hands, singing, shouting, you name it. We're looking at this passion that's displayed, and if that passion is displayed, we're kind of like, Oh yeah, these people get it. And it never occurred to me that I made it more about me than about Christ, especially since I was the one on the stage singing and playing. All that to say is it was very easy to trick me into believing you were a passionate lover of Jesus. And so the Lord has brought me in these past five years through a tearing and a restoring and through reseeing something in worship. And he really started it with this verse that Paul writes in Romans 12 in verse one. He says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy. So keep in mind, he's not saying for God's mercy or in order to obtain God's mercy, but in view of God's mercy. Okay, this is what he's given to us to offer your bodies, that's who you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. A lot of us have heard this scripture, but this last line resonated with me. This is your true and proper worship. Yeah. Now, have you been anyone raised in the church, kind of grew up? Okay, a few folks, so you might be familiar with the phrase living sacrifice. I, I have sang songs about it but it never occurred to me that it was an oxymoron. Living sacrifice. I mean, it's easy to tell. You can look Webster. I didn't look it up on the dictionary.com. I actually went to paper. It's this crazy thing called a book. And uh, Webster wrote this definition of living. And he says this, living is dwelling, residing, existing, subsisting, having a life or vital functions and operation. Now he could have summed it down to not dead. Webster, he had to impress people with a lot of words. So living is? I'll try it again. Living is? Good. All right. Sacrifice is to offer to God in homage or worship by killing and consuming. 
as victims on an altar or immolate either as an atonement for sin or to procure favor or to express thankfulness as to sacrifice an ox and a lamb. I don't know where he's going with that one, but that's, that's how he's expressed. So, so uh, living is Not and sacrifice is to kill. kill. So Paul is saying, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you to be killed people who are not dead. Just just like follow me here because this would be something that we go, well, if this is our one true proper way of worship, then it, it bears witness that we should probably try to understand what this means. Paul is saying, I want you to live as dead people that are walking. I'm seeing something a lot in young ministers in the church, okay? They owe a lot to their emotions. That's not bad. God's given us emotions. We should feel. Things are hard sometimes, okay? Some of the best things in life, they will pull at the toughest parts in you and the deepest parts, Okay, sometimes you don't get to the pearl unless you've seen all the mess of the dirt. So you feel something and you go, oh, this must be God. Now pay attention because I'm not trying to be condemning or accusatory. There's a lot of people who give up on things too early. Ignore Galatians uh, uh, um, 3.6. Is this can't remember, but do not despise the day of new beginnings, okay? You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. 516. Okay, we ignore this principle because we go, oh, I'm not feeling it. The next day goes, I'm still not feeling it. It's been like two months and you're like, maybe God wants me somewhere else. A lot of this, not just in ministry, in the church, commitment to churches, commitment to marriages. Okay, and I have a question for you. Can the dead feel? No. I've, I've been a part of and, and led families. Okay, I'm not trying to be disrespectful through the process after a loved one dies. I've done a lot of funerals. And I'll, I'll tell you something. It's, you don't have to be that smart to know that there's a reason that, that there's a will, a last will, and a living will. Because I've never had a family look to their dead loved ones and say, what do you want? Okay, they don't go, hey, do you want to be? They don't say that because they're dead. Following Jesus doesn't mean you just always get what you want and that you feel what you want to feel. Following Jesus is the best thing for your life. You will be convinced of it each and every day when you fight through all of the battle the, the enemy tries to send your way. And so Jesus gets this with his disciples. In fact, his disciples, I love this. It's like they're five-year-olds. And yet we're all like this, right? His disciples are all saying, um, it says that they're always battling against each other as to who the greatest is. Okay. Now you got to admire this because like that, that still happens today. It's just that we're a little bit more passive aggressive with it. All right. You know, we're kind of like, uh, in this, this false hum- humility way, like, oh, you're so much better than I am uh, at, at preaching, leading worship. Oh, don't, all glory to God. Now, these guys weren't like that. 
these guys were like, no, I'm the best. No, Jesus likes me more. And Jesus, like, like that's kind of like how, how my kids were when they were younger than they even are now. And Jesus has to wrangle them together. And there's this one part in Matthew 20 where Jesus is like, I'm going to set a new precedent here. I'm going to set a new standard. And here's what it's going to be. Jesus says this as he gathers them. And it's one of many times they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus calls them together and says this. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over people. And the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be, let's say it again, but among you, it will be, okay, whoever wants to be a leader among you, this is his church, this is the followers of Christ, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. So Jesus sets this standard. Jesus comes out and he says, hey, listen, I know how you feel. I know the natural order of things. I know that you think that you're going to have to be in control of the government. I know that you think that you're going to, but among you, it's going to be different. Among you, you're going to be known for how you serve. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus flips something and sets a standard that even to this day is a tough one for us to stomach. And it's why I have this point. If you're called to salvation, you're called to serve. Now, if you grew up kind of in a legalistic culture, you may have misheard what I said. I didn't say if you're called to salvation, then you must serve. Or you must serve if you want to be saved. Okay? I said, if you're called to salvation, then now the fastest route to a discontented life is to ignore this principle of serving and to be someone that you're not made to be. Okay? The fastest way to a discontented life is to ignore this principle of servant, serving because you weren't made to do anything else. If you do something you weren't made to do, okay? If you spend a lifetime trying to do something that, that you don't have the tools or the ability to do, you will be frustrated, discouraged, and very vulnerable to the enemy's lies. You try to unscrew a bolt, okay? If you're changing your tire and you try to unscrew a lug nut with your hand, you're gonna think you're weak. That's because you're supposed to use a crowbar. Lug nut wrench. If you're me, it's a crowbar. not made to be a car mechanic. Come on, guys. So Jesus sets this precedent. Jesus sets this precedent. It's this. We won't be known for being the greatest, but for being the least. Are you okay with that? Won't be known for being the greatest, but the least. And Paul reinforces this when he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and that that is your true worship. 
It's not thinking about surrender. It's surrendering. It's not following Jesus theoretically, but actually. And so they set this standard. And so doing a little ecclesiology, see, there's, there's a benefit of Bible school right there. It's not much more. No, I'm just kidding. All right. The study of church history, we can see how the church started with this mentality. Okay. Around the time of Paul's death. Okay. Now these numbers can vary around the time of Paul's death. It's estimated that there were a thousand Christians in the Roman Empire. This is 0.017% of the Roman Empire. Okay, this is how the church starts. This is around 50 to 70 AD, okay? After the apostle Paul dies and a lot of the Christian leaders that we read about through scripture are gone, okay? Now, just a short period of time and at the first century, by the end of the first century, that's 100 AD, that number multiplies to seven 1,500, that's 0.02%. In 50 short years later, in 150 AD, that number multiplies to 40,000 Christians. That's 0.07. 50 more years, okay, that number exponentially multiplies to 200,000. That's 0.35%. And by 250 AD, 2 million people claim to be Christians. That's 2% of the Roman Empire. Now I stop there because this is fascinating. You may say, why is this fascinating? Okay, thank you. Just checking. Because during this entire time, Christianity is 100% illegal. Completely Illegal to the point of imprisonment, even death and torture. Christianity grows to 2% of the known world all while being elite. They can't have services like this. That's not even the most fascinating part. The most fascinating part is it grew that large while it was enormously illegal From the time of 70 AD to 250 AD, there were no known names of missionaries, apostles, pastors, or speakers. History records no names of a church that grew from 1,000 people to 2 million people in three centuries. The only two names mentioned are Christ and his church. Listen. A secular history scholar says this about this. When asked, how then, if not by organized missionary work and battalions of door knockers, mass open air rallies to convert multitudes and the rest of it, did Christianity get so far in just three centuries? It's easy in the simplest way of all through social interaction. Word of mouth between neighbors, co-workers, traders, and even slaves who were being transported all around the empire. They would transmit this new faith by their lives. In every way, the lives of the church who followed Christ and not, one, not any one person were the razor blade that would cut through persecution and oppression, oppression facing them. That's from a a non-Christian scholar. The biggest difference between Christ's church and the 
countless religions that came before it and after was that the message didn't stop with words. See, you can argue with words. I can get in an argument with words, but what you can't argue with is a life that's changed. And the difference between these religions and Christianity was people were witnessing real life change and people laying their lives down and becoming different. They were serving and they weren't being served. Every other religion was talking about how to get to the next step. And they were talking about there is a kingdom that is far greater than the kingdom of this world. You keep trying to own the things of this world, but I want to tell you there's a greater life and it's worth my life. Yeah, come on. It was almost like a, a talent show with somebody that didn't play the piano that well or something. <laughs> a, church, a church was created to be these two things, to have the message, to live the message. Yeah. To have the message, to live the message. A church without the second stinks. Yeah. Literally does. They don't know they stink. No, I mean, literally, they, they have nobody to vacuum or clean the church. It stinks. You ever walked into a church, okay, that stopped? Still alive? Nothing more detestable to the world than to call something alive that's dead. Y'all okay? Had this prank candle when I was on staff here, and my staff, man, they... They gave me this candle because I like candles, right? It's cozy. And they're like, this is a good candle. And it started off smelling like apple pie. I don't even know if I'm allowed to. Like, the, the, the candle turned into a, a smell that was titled Dirty Fart. I didn't know it. Because it was apple pie for, for I, I want to say, like two months. Todd, you know, we put the candle in Todd's office. People come into my office and like, man, something. And I'm like, I, it, something does smell different. And they're like, good night. This is how a lot of churches feel, man. When you don't live what you're teaching. This is not legalism. I'm talking about the simple thing. I'm going to get... I'm going to get here, all right? I'm going to get there. Yeah. Give me some, some time here. All right? When we lay down our wants, our desires, the more we do that, the more God fills it with his life. Yeah. There is nothing like it. But the more we try to frame our lives around what we want, the more we look and stink. And it may start smelling good. And you are so used to the stink. Can I move on? Thanks. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To dwell in this temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord. You know, you're called to declare the glory of the Lord. And that word can be interchanged for beauty. Do you know that you're called to do that? All right, I live in Ohio. I know what that does for some of you, all right? You think it's a state covered in mud and dog biscuits because um, of 
the Broncos' dominance over them. Uh, the Browns. So you kind of see Ohio and you're like, Oof, poor guy, I live in Colorado. Let me tell you something. Ohio is one of the most beautiful states I've ever lived in. Where I live, it is beautiful. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't see it. Okay, so the only way that you'll know that is if I tell you about it. Because I've seen it. You're called to declare the beauty of the Lord, but the world doesn't know or understand his beauty. God's calling you to tell them he's beautiful. So what pulls us from seeing his beauty? What pulls us? There are three quick things I want to go through. Distractions. Distractions. I mean, especially with our phones nowadays. I'm a big YouTuber. I'll find a video and I'll think maybe it changed my life. Um, <laughs> Let's go out. There we go. Gina's got to see this because if it changed my life, it's going to change her life. And anyway, back to distractions. So, so I'll have this video and I'll shoot a link and I'll be like, I got to show my kids and everything. And I'll be like, hey, when I get home, I want to see this video. I'll play the video. Or maybe it's a movie. Like it's a great movie. And how many ever do this as a spouse? You're, you're, you're like, hey, I want you to see this. I want you. And they're on their phone and you're like, hey, life changing right here. And it gets done, and, and, and my wife is, is just one that she's just like, hey, I'm trying to figure out life, you know, I'm just get, you know, paying off our life savings, all that stuff. And I'll get, hey, did you like that part? She goes, oh, I'm so sorry, I missed it. I'm like, you think? God is, is consistently trying to reveal his beauty to his church, and the whole time that you continue to say like, okay, hey, uh, I, I know the beauty of the Lord is being declared to me. I know I have this moment, but how much longer are we gonna sing this song? Hey, I know that God wants to declare his beauty, but how much longer is this preacher gonna preach? Hey, I know that he wants to show me how amazingly beautiful he is early in the morning, but I gotta get ready real quick, or I need a few more hours of sleep, or I gotta do this, that, and the other thing, and we miss it. And then when somebody says, man, can you believe how amazing God is? You're like, hold up, what? He's trying to reveal his beauty to you and the devil wants nothing more than to make you so busy that you can't see it. But you're called to display it. Distractions and then desires. Get through this as quick as I can here. There's a verse in Isaiah that speaks 500 years before Jesus was even on the scene physically. And it goes through to explain the, the crucifixion of Jesus. It says that he was despised and rejected. Okay, but verse two of chapter 53, and if you get time, read this whole chapter. It gets me every time, but verse two says this, that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is in his appearance that we should desire him. That means nothing in this natural world that said, he is king. Only if you knew what you saw. And I was reading this and I pictured Pilate 
as he just got done having Jesus flogged, Jesus has his crown of thorns on his head. He's bloodied, beaten to the point that says he's unrecognizable. And Pilate has this thing where he, this thing that he thinks will work. He brings this murderer and, and liar and thief up, Barabbas, and he puts him before the people and he puts Jesus there and he says, behold, same word that says to behold the beauty of the Lord. He says, behold the man. I present to you these two men. Who do you want us to free? And the people say, give us Barabbas. Give us a thief. And they don't know that they're asking. No, give us the liar. And I'm sitting there thinking, if you don't know what's happening, you may not know that the most beautiful thing this world has ever seen is standing there with blood so powerful that it has the ability to save generations from generations. It has the ability to eliminate my guilt, my shame, my fear, and my punishment. The most beautiful man in the world stands before me, but the world can't see his beauty. And if we continue to desire the things that this world throws at us and it's only going to get more and more and more we will fail to see how beautiful Jesus is and then the last thing is dignity I could throw into that pride so so you know I I thought about this as a worshiper man it doesn't cost me much to throw up my hands because I really don't care much about what people think of me. Okay, so that's not really a sacrifice for me. Really isn't. I honor Jesus. I love him with all my heart, but it doesn't cost me much. And so worship has to go outside of these walls. But there are people, man, that that costs a lot. But I'm telling you, holding on to pride is only going to increase unhappiness. And I got to hustle here. So, so let me just say this. Pride is like, we had this one event that we did where we put this, this they, they put the worship stage, the stage right where the sun was setting. It was an outdoor event, big old deal out in the community. And I thought, uh, man, these bunch of crazies put the stage right where the sun's setting. And so you got this worship leader up there going, hey, how's everyone doing? And everyone's like, I wish I could even look at you, but the sun is in my eyes. And I get this sense that people don't understand that pride is a constant glare that prevents you from seeing people, okay? Prevents you from seeing the will of God and the beauty of the Lord because you got this constant glare of who am I shining in your face. And so if you don't lay down pride, you'll never see what people look like. See, these lights are in my eyes, but when I come down here, I can see people. I can say, hey, Mike, how's it going? And see what he looks like. Okay, I can see my wonderful, beautiful wife. But if I have pride, I'm constantly putting a glare in my eyes. We're called to declare the beauty of the Lord, but a lot of times distractions, desires, and our dignity come in the way. Now let me wrap this whole thing up with, with another story from Exodus. This is story of Moses. Give me just a second, get a drink of water. It's dry up here. Exodus 3, verse 1 says this. Moses... He's 40 years old at this time. 
That's, I, I throw that out there because age has nothing to do with the um, calling God puts on your life. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to a far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This would later be known as Mount Sinai. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. So Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the, bur- why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that, that he, talking about Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush saying, Moses, Moses. So follow me for a quick second. For Moses, and during this time, this is how the Lord chose to display himself. Through a fire on a bush that would not burn. And by all counts, it should have. It's a consuming fire. It's bright enough for Moses to see. After this, Moses goes through Israel's established and Israel, the nation, okay, is called to display God's grace, mercy, and glory in their time. They are how God displays himself in that day and age. When Jesus comes on the scene, incarnate Emmanuel, God with us, God himself, Jesus is the display of who God is. And when he dies and raises up from the dead and ascends to heaven, he leaves his Holy Spirit for each of us. And each one of you are now the display of God to this world. And through generations, it's not changed. God wants to be a consuming fire in our lives, bright enough to get the world's attention. Because by all accounts, we should be dead and burned, but we still live. God is calling us to live lives of worship, not to impress people, not to create just a passionate moment. God is calling us to live a life of worship because by all accounts, your alcoholism should have killed you, but the fire of God killed everything but you, okay? By all accounts, okay, my adultery should have cost me my family, my marriage, but all that others see is the fire of God inside of me, and I have this one boat. And it's this one boast alone, and it's why I teach this. It is by grace and grace alone. And so may the rest of my days be dedicated and committed to a God that can burn away my shame, burn away my past, burn away my sin, and cause me to live. And though the world see me and say, you should be dead, I'm not consumed, for I'm pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. And church, if you want God to be revealed in your life like never before, stop trying to mix something that's not meant to be mixed and go outside of these walls and live a life of worship. I close with this, and this is simple. I learned this lesson three years ago. We came to our church. And, and, and I dropped my oldest daughter off at the student ministry. It was happening Sunday night. 
And, uh, and as I'm pulling out of the parking lot, I get a call from her. She says, Dad, you got to come pick me up. So I go pick her up. And, and she said that they canceled it. I said, what do you mean they canceled it? So I go in to talk to the youth director. He's sitting with a, a youth leader, kind of drinking a smoothie. I'll never forget it. I say, hey, you having a good time? And he says, yeah, just don't have the people. Made an excuse for why it's not working. I said, you know what? probably need to find another place to work because I'm here to change the world and not just to make your life happy so I said hey peace be with you my brother love you and then I said God what are we going to (laughs) do you ever kind of done that this is what the Lord says to me where are you serving Jonathan I said I don't think that's God because I'm the pastor. Like, I do a lot that Lord says, where are you serving in ministry? Where are you doing what you're asking a lot of other people to do for this next generation that needs? Now, I love the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Quick turn, right? So I actually said this to the Lord. I said, but God, that's when the Broncos play. <laughs> If you know me, you know I'm intense about the Broncos. Here's one of the things I used to be known for. My wife would be like, if the Broncos lose, get out of his way. Okay, let him take a nap. If they win, I'm going to be asking for some jewelry or something. This is how much. Look, I'm not saying anything. Like, I love even seeing the Broncos jerseys. I had to say, okay, Lord, I don't want to, but I'm going to serve. I'm saying this because God wants to speak to someone out here. A church that serves out of the goodness and grace of God is a church that makes a difference. And so I said, I'm going to start serving. And so we go on Sunday night and I appointed a volunteer's leader. And I said, I, you're the leader tonight and I'm here to serve. I said, I'll put you in charge of games. I said, dang it. Just kidding. I didn't. We did it, and we saw a youth ministry grow from 2 to 25 in just a few short months. And every Sunday, I'd go and go. And there wasn't one time in that first month that I didn't want to. Lord, don't you see how much I'm doing? And then all of a sudden, something changed. And I started looking forward to it. Where am I serving tonight, God? What am I going to do tonight? I was living the life. And you know what I didn't care about? Russell Wilson. Just kidding. I care about him. I just not, it's not impacting my day anymore. I'm just telling you, there are some idols in our life that we don't realize are idols. And God's saying like, hey, I know that you want me to address this, but I'm going to address this over here and it'll impact this. You're going to be free in a way you haven't been in a while. And I'm seeing God move in a powerful way in our students' lives. And I know I'm going just a little long. I just want to exhort you, church, Jubilee. God doesn't have a low calling for you. He has something. Okay, if it's greeting, then greet. If it's to make coffee, then make coffee. Because you don't know when you're handing somebody hope and life is going to lead them to the feet of Jesus. Our next generation, man, the enemy, he's mad at me right now because he's sitting there like, I own this generation. And we're a church that's going to stand and say, no, you don't. No, you don't. 
I'll serve, I'll give my life, I'll give my desires and my pride to make sure this next generation knows the same power that changed me can change them. And I give that to you and I ask, will you bring it before the Lord as worship and live lives of worship before the Lord? Let's pray. God, I'm humbled, I'm honored. And Lord, there's just nothing else that that can be added and I just pray that you would be speaking to people's hearts like you spoke to mine in a simple practical way to fight the enemy not on his turf but with your power and your Holy Spirit we honor you in this place and lift you up you're the name above all other names and there is nothing like we sang earlier there is nothing like your blood that washes us white as snow in Jesus name amen thank you